ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name is Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. The Territory Government has unveiled its water allocation plan for the Georgina Wiso Basins, saying 210,000 megalitres could be sustainably taken every year for things like agriculture, mining, oil and gas. It's a lot of water. 210,000 megs a year. Get your head around that. And we'll be learning more about this plan in just a moment. The gas company Santos is back in court today. Will it be allowed to start work on its Barossa gas pipeline? You'll find out soon. And before 1.30, (laughs) I like the sound of this, you'll get to meet the Aussie company that is growing the nation's biggest blueberries. The breeder that we have aligned with has the current world record for the largest blueberry. And at 18.6 grams, one 125-gram punnet would end up with seven berries in it. That's the sort of difference in products that we can start looking at doing. (laughs) Big blueberries and big news on today's Country Hour. Hope you can stick around. We're broadcasting right across the Territory on the ABC. We're streaming online and g'day there if you are tuning in via the podcast. First up today, let's talk about water. Late on Friday, the Territory Government announced its long-awaited water allocation plan for the Georgina and Wiso Basins. Now, this covers a huge area of the Northern Territory, more than 15 million hectares. From just north of Daly Waters to south of Tennant Creek, these basins cover a lot of the Barkley and they cover a lot of the Beedaloo Basin. Now, the Government's concluded that 210,000 megalitres of water can be sustainably extracted every year. That's a lot of water, 210,000 megs. To learn more about the plan, I spoke this morning to Amy Dysart, who is the Territory's Director of Water Resources. Oh, look, I think it's um, been a long time coming. As we pointed out, it was out for consultation a, a number of months ago, and I think this is a really good step forward in the in the management of water resources in the Territory. It is a different situation than other parts of the Territory because in this case we've put the plan in place prior to that development occurring. So it's a really positive step in having some conservative um, allocations uh, at this stage and that we will be able to monitor and track Um, the effects of that extraction over time and and make sure that we have a sustainable resource. Uh, So this allocation means a third of the annual recharge could be taken each year. What happened to the days of 80-20? Oh, look, the policy settings that we've used um, for setting the extraction is we've actually looked at the water that is stored underneath the groundwater now. You know, as we know with the climate and changes in future, recharge can be variable. Um, so that's it's tricky for us to measure and monitor that. So what we've actually done is counted on the water that's there and exists. So this is the most extensive groundwater resource in the Territory. It's huge and it has a, a large, large amount of water in it. So what we've done is we've set some conservative 
um, settings in the plan to just allow a very small portion of that water to be used each year. So we can track and monitor and make sure that the impacts of that extraction are acceptable um, before, you know, more water is taken out. Yeah, because, and correct me if I'm wrong here with the numbers, the, the storage is huge, 740 million megalitres. But really, it, in terms of extracting, the recharge is the most important part of this, isn't it? So the way that we like to look at it, because that's such a big number, it's hard to fathom exactly how big that is. But if you took out that 210 thousand megalitres a year for the next 100 years, which is what we plan for under the plan, 97% of that water would still remain in the aquifer underneath. And that's putting aside the fact that rain will occur in that time, the system will be replenished. So it basically says that over time with this amount of extraction, that resource will continue to fill. It won't fill every single year, just depending on the rain, but over over time, it will continue to get larger. Uh, I see in a statement from the Environment Centre, it says it's a terrible decision that could spell disaster for the Roper River, as well as Matarenka and Bitter Springs. What do you say to that? Oh, look, we have a really good understanding of the resource and we do know that there is connection between um, both Georgina through to the Roper River and Wiseau through to the Flora River. However, we also know that the the level of that connection is relatively small. So the water moves quite slowly through through the aquifer, the regional aquifer. It's actually about a metre every 10 years. So we're talking about thousands and thousands of years it takes for that water to move from sort of around that tenant area towards sort of Larimer. And we also know that the amount of water that is actually passing through that Georgina Basin into the Roper River is about 3,500 megalitres per year. So once again, compared to the size of the resource in Georgina Wiso and, you know, the flows in the Roper is a, is a very small portion of those total flows. So yes, it is connected, but it takes a very, very long time um, for that water to move through through those um, pathways. Right. So just going again to this statement from the Environment Centre that says the government's own science says significant water allocations from this aquifer could cause the Roper to stop flowing. Is that correct? No, that is not correct. Um, there are other plans that we're also working on this area that that's, um, support this plan, and that's the Mataranka plan. There's a water advisory committee that's actively involved in the development of that plan. And that looks at more specifically about the impacts on the Roper in that area. And you'll see the settings in that plan will deal with those impacts. Um, the reason you don't see that in the Georgina Weasel is, as we said, there's a connection, but it's a, it's a very small, a relatively small, and it takes a long time. So it's not within, you know, a 10-year plan or a a hundred year projection of usage that will see that impact. If you're tuning in, this is the Country Hour and we're speaking to Amy Dysart from the Department of Environment and Water Security. The government has released its water allocation plan for the Georgina Wiso basins out there and in the Barclay, out there in the Beedaloo. And I guess on, on the Beedaloo, Amy, how much of all of this is really about fracking? 
Yeah, so we do have a beneficial use that um, so a portion of the estimated sustainable yield has been allocated to for petroleum activities. What we've actually done in this case, which is different to other plans, is we've put a cap on the portion that the petroleum industry can access within that, and that's at 10,000 megalitres per year. Um, you know, that's sort of less than, you know, 5 to 10% of the, the total allocations available in that region and we think that's a reasonable um, portion of that available water to be used by that industry. Yeah, so 10,000 megalitres a year for the oil and gas sector, 20,000 megalitres a year set aside for Aboriginal Water Reserve for economic development and industry in general, 160,000 megalitres per year. What's your understanding on, on how much demand is out there in this area to extract water? Yeah, as you've pointed out, it's a very big area. Um, it covers 12% of the territory and it has about 1,200 people. Um, so it's very sparsely populated. Um, we have made available an amount of water, you know, primarily for agriculture based on previous, you know, soil suitability studies that have been conducted in that area and identified that there's good potential for that type of development. So we've aligned the amount of water available in that, in that I guess, other consumptive uses to that um, predicted demand. The time in which that, you know, demand happens um, still has to be made under a water extraction licence for each of those properties. So there's still a assessment and rules and conditions that are applied to water licences um, as that development occurs. Yeah, so if someone's in that region listening this afternoon goes, oh, here we go, I might uh, look at uh, putting a few bores down and extracting water. What is the process from here on? Yeah, so the water allocation plan does not allocate the water now. You know, it makes the water available for allocation through a licence. It's still subject to that assessment. So depending on where the landholders want to do that extraction um, and how much they want to extract, they have to go through that process. So that can take sort of at least sort of six months to a year for us to make um, those assessments and to grant those licences if that is um, considered to be acceptable by the controller. And is this water free? So at this stage, um, there is a water regulatory fee that is paid by the petroleum industry. Um, that was introduced in January. And then under the Territory Water Plan, you'll see that there is a priority for government to look at how we put a value on water for the Territory to ensure that there is contribution to the, the costs of regulating water um, and also managing the resource. Um, that's being conducted separately yeah. from my division in water resources, um, but that is, a, that is a commitment by government to look at, um, you know, making sure that we value this really important resource. And it, you know, complements well the process of putting in a plan and having allocations and then, you know, licensing, licenses contributing to the cost of that management. So there is a, there is a chance down the track that this 210,000 megalitres a year will have a charge on it. Yes, as it will for all other um, licenses in the Territory. That is Amy Dysart, who is the NT's Director of Water Resources. The government has unveiled the water allocation plan for the Georgina Wiso Basins. You can find this plan 
on the department's website. So if you type in Department of Environment, click on that, and bang, there on the homepage, you'll see the Georgina Wiso Water Allocation Plan. So you can read it for yourself. 210,000 megalitres of water every single year to come out of that aquifer sustainably. That's what the government thinks. You can join the conversation this afternoon. Our text here at the Country Hour is 0487 Here at the Country Hour, we have contacted the Environment Centre NT and we are hopeful of speaking to someone very soon, hopefully before the end of the show. G'day, it's Trent here from Catherine and I'm here feeding Old Mate the Crocodile. Yes, Old Mate is actually his name. He's 2.4 metres and he's a saltwater crocodile. You wouldn't want to meet one of these fellas late at night. Take it easy, you're listening to the Country Hour. It is 18 to 1. In sad news this afternoon, you may have heard this, the chairman of the Northern Land Council, Dr Bush Blenessy, has died aged 61. I'm joined in the studio by Dan Fitzgerald. Dan, terrible news this afternoon. Yeah, it is. Uh, He died on Sunday at Royal Darn Hospital after a short illness at just the young age of 61. Uh, Dr Bush Malassi's uh, last name is being used in accordance with uh, permission from the family. Okay. Um, he served nine terms with the Northern Land Council, including four as its chairman. And uh, during his time on the Land Council, he played a pretty pivotal role in securing sea country rights for traditional owners. That is the Blue Mud Bay case back in 2008. Uh, the Northern Land Council also says uh, he spearheaded historic changes to the NT's Aboriginal land rights laws, which advanced economic development and self-determination on the lands. Um, in a statement from the NLC, uh, he was hailed as a bold and uncompromising leader. Never defer- deferential, he spoke truth to power, the statement said. His political noose was second to none, equally as influential when talking with countrymen or politicians. He engaged them naturally to deliver tough messages to those who needed to hear them. Mm-hmm. And I see here a statement from the Chief Minister, Natasha Files. Uh, she described him as a friend and confidant to many, always offering advice and wisdom. We will miss his guidance, said the Chief Minister. Uh, that's news today. And uh, I see there's a tribute up on the ABC News website this afternoon. Hi, it's Mark Edwards here at the Cosmo Mine. A shout out to all the past workers that have worked here over the years. And you're listening to the Country Hour. Our text number 0487991057. I've got a message here from someone, no name attached to it, regarding our earlier story about the water allocation plan for the Georgina Wiso Basins being released by government. Uh, this person says, Matt, I wouldn't trust anything government experts say about water use as we are not in normal times anymore and nobody knows how the aquifers will refill, etc. now that climate change is here and no more rainfall for God knows how long. And what is the regulatory fee for the petroleum industry? Question mark. I can tell you that the oil and gas companies need to play a flat fee of 3000 bucks a year to get hold of their water. And as Amy Dysart mentioned, that could change in the future 
change into a dollars per megalitre charge. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, if you missed that conversation with Amy Dyside, it'll be up on the podcast later on this afternoon. And down the Man Fitzgerald there in the producer booth has told me that we will be speaking to the Environment Centre in the second half of the show to get its take on what has just been unveiled. Now, as mentioned, the gas company Santos, it's back in court today as a traditional owner from the Tiwi Islands tries to extend an injunction on that company starting work on its underwater pipeline to the Barossa project. I'm joined in the studio by Oliver Chaseling from ABC News who has had an ear on the federal court. Just remind us about this case again, Ollie. Good afternoon, Matt. So, uh, yeah, this is a this is a pretty high stakes debate, and it's around the potential risks to Tiwi cultural heritage that may or may not arise from the construction of a pipeline uh, connecting the Barossa gas field uh, west of the Tiwi Islands to gas export facilities in Darwin. Mm-hmm. And so we saw that injunction put in place. Santos had to stop what it was doing. Everyone just, I. I assume just sat on the boat and went fishing instead because they weren't allowed to put down the pipeline. But it's all back in court today. What's happened? Well, uh, this is uh, sort of the latest hearing, as you mentioned. There was a hearing on the 1st of November. uh, And this is all arising from a federal court ruling late last year where Santos was ordered to conduct a cultural heritage survey of sacred sites along the pipeline route. Uh, That survey found no evidence of physical cultural heritage sites. However, uh, traditional owners uh, from Tiwi Island, particularly uh, Simon Munkara, who's brought this uh, latest quarter action, is claiming that there are, in fact, two significant song lines that intersect the pipeline route. Uh, So these hearings, this current hearing today, is to determine whether construction should be halted until a later court date... uh, a court trial in which will decide if Santos has to go back and rewrite its environment plan from 2020. I'm picking up from you here, Ollie, that a decision hasn't been made yet. A decision has not been made. Okay. Uh, we're only hearing just now hearing from uh, lawyers representing uh, the traditional owners. Uh, they've just broken for lunch uh, and they'll be back shortly to... Okay. So maybe on later this afternoon... Uh, that's correct. So, yeah, later this afternoon, uh, we'll expect to have a decision as to whether construction can go ahead or if it can't, then they will then, the court will then set a court date sometime in the future, uh, seemingly ex- an expedited court date, so sooner rather than later, uh, which will decide if we, if Santos, in fact, have to go back and uh, do their plan all over again. Mm. Okay, thank you for keeping us up to date. And if you're interested in that story, well, make sure you keep an ear on ABC Radio this afternoon and, of course, the television news tonight at 7 o'clock. It's 8 to 1. You are tuned into the country hour. I'll tell you what, if you've got shares in Elders, you must be happy this afternoon. Shares in Elders are up 16% as we go to air. It's revealed its half-yearly financial results today. I'll tell you all about it next. Tune your mood with the ABC Listen app. Get swept away in a podcast. Some people come to remembering very funny things from surgery. Really? Choose the news that suits you. Call live radio shows. Carl is calling from the ABC Listen app. Hello, can we make a science week again? And find a playlist that moves you. Anytime, anywhere, every day. Life sounds better with the ABC Listen app. 
The text number here at the Country Hour is 0487991057. And we always like getting the news from our Country Hour correspondents. I've got a message here from Sprinkles who says, Mate, that monster Santos rig is parked up just off Bino Harbour. Been here for just on a week, says Sprinkles. Giving us the goss this afternoon, 0487991057. Now, as mentioned, shares and elders are up 16% this afternoon. The company released its half-yearly financial results today. And they're not that flash. There's a lot of red on the page. Its earnings before interest and tax are down 26% on the previous year. The managing director and chief executive, Mark Allison, he is staying upbeat and says given the challenges facing the ag sector, he's pretty pleased with these results. I think uh, when we look at the backdrop, which is a very difficult last 12 months through uh, regional rural Australia and uh, and agriculture, uh, with uh, commodity prices uh, coming off significantly, uh, the result is the uh, is pretty solid. It's the uh, the second highest result in 10 years for elders. Uh, the return on capital at 16% is uh, a premium return on capital. And uh, the uh, cash conversion that we've achieved has also been uh, very, very positive from a uh, shareholder viewpoint. So uh, I, I think making the best of difficult situations is uh, is how I'd describe it. What aspect of the elders' business is responsible for most of the uh, profit decline? Well, I, th- I think everyone throughout uh, regional rural Australia is aware of the uh, the decline in livestock prices, both sheep and cattle. Our feeling as we were coming into FY23 was that there would be a decline from the record highs from previous years. Uh, we thought it might have been a 20 or 25% uh, reduction, but it's uh, uh, 60% plus across uh, a number of areas. So, so that, that's had a, uh, a big imp- impact on the uh, business. And there's also been uh, the impact of uh, declining input costs, which meant that we uh, had a higher price to inventory and we're obviously needing to sell that at a discount because of the declining uh, costs uh, coming in for replacement stock. And for your clients, for farmers, with that uh, big decline in livestock prices, I suppose uh, overall a big hit to confidence and, and reduced willingness or, or ability to spend on some of the products and services that Elders offers? Yeah, I think there's a bit of that. I mean, it's, it is a significant hit. It, when you look at the uh, farm management deposits around Australia, they're at a record high of seven billion. So, uh, so it would seem, or the numbers would say, uh, that it's not a crisis situation throughout uh, through uh, throughout uh, our ag communities uh, because there, there, you know, there's a fair um, uh, a bunch of uh, deposits there and resources. But it is very, very difficult, and uh, you know, particularly where investments were made by many of our clients to increase the flocks and the herds and they've had good uh, good seasons and then the uh, the value of their uh, their product uh, is has diminished significantly yes so it's very very difficult if we look to the future uh, the very strong el nino forecast uh, in victoria to this point we've had very good conditions but uh, very strong expectations that it will get dry as it has in other parts of the country so uh, is the worst still to come no, I don't think so. Uh, certainly, uh, my personal view on it is uh, quite positive and optimistic because we don't see El Nino events right across the board. They're, they tend to be regionalised and localised. Uh, the uh, I think the uh, the bomb uh, uh, is saying that uh, as we come into autumn, uh, any uh, potential El Nino effects uh, will be diluted. The oldest share price, though, it's uh, 
sitting just over six dollars. That's uh, around four dollars less than it was that if we were having this conversation at the same time last year. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, I just had a quick look between uh, presentations this morning, and it's up to it had got to seven dollars today. But yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of factors because you'll recall this time last year there was also a succession issue that has been resolved. Uh, and uh, this time last year, we're also going into uh, some uns- uh, geopolitical uncertainties and the uh, early call that there will be in an El Nino effect, which hasn't been anywhere near the level that was uh, called at that time. Uh, a common criticism of, of big businesses like Elders is that they're not necessarily paying their, their fair, fair share of the tax burden. What, what's Elders' mm-hmm. tax bill look like? Uh, well, you, you're probably aware of back, back in the day, in fact, when I... Uh, when I joined the board, uh, we were in bad bank and almost uh, had made multiple losses and, uh, and uh, therefore we, we had a significant build-up of tax losses. And so you need to earn your way out of those tax losses. So we, we haven't, because of the tax loss situation, uh, we, we haven't been paying uh, tax as we take up all the tax losses and we're just about at the point where now we're through all those tax losses because of the, uh, the strong growth of the business. Okay, so right through till now, after that lean trot for elders, you you, you haven't paid any tax through that period. Uh, no, we we have paid because we have a number of entities where we're not uh, one, a majority owner, and so in those we we pay taxes, and that's why you know our dividend, the, the twenty three cent dividend, is thirty uh, percent franked uh, because we do use our tax credits. Oh, sorry, the yeah the tax credits, franking credits, uh, from the entities where where they're uh, not wholly owned by us. Just finally, as we touched on earlier, uh, uh, in terms of succession, you had planned to leave. You, you've now planned to stay with the business. Uh, how long have you got left to run? Yeah, well, uh, I uh, my intent is to see out this eight-point plan and the uh, the joke that I use around head offices. And the good news is there's wheelchair access to head office, so I could be here for a long, long time. That's Mark Allison, the Elders Managing Director and Chief Executive, speaking to Angus Verley. That company's half-yearly financial results are out today. And shareholders like it. There's lots of red, but the shareholders like it. Shares are up 16% this afternoon as we go to air to $7.15 a share. Look at some of these rainfall figures up to 9 o'clock this morning. Dorisvale Crossings had 63 millimetres. Bachelor Airport, 68. Groot Island, 42 millimetres in the gauge. Birundudu Cattle Station, 67. Rabbit Flat, 55. Yalara Airport, 17. Is there more to come this week? We'll ask the Weather Bureau in five minutes' time. But now it's time for us to head to the ABC Newsroom, 1 o'clock. G'day, my name is Heather Smythe. I'm a sensory scientist and flavour specialist and my job is to make food more delicious. And you're listening to the Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. In a moment, you'll get to meet the Australian company that's growing the nation's biggest blueberries. The breeder that we have aligned with has the current world record for the largest blueberry. And at 18.6 grams, one 125-gram punnet would end up with seven berries in it. That's the sort of difference in products that we can start looking at doing. Yes, this company is expanding. Its blueberries are getting bigger. (laughs) I wonder if you've seen them on the supermarket shelf yet. Uh, You'll learn more about this in a moment on The Country Hour. Mm, 
I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Let's go to the Weather Bureau. Juliet Barson is there this afternoon. Juliet, uh, as we go to air this afternoon, there's a few storms around the Territory. A bit of rain, a bit of action. Yeah, good afternoon, Matt. That's quite right. We had a fairly active day across the Territory yesterday and seeing some more activity going off at the moment. Been quite active around the Gregory this morning with that line of thunderstorms still going and new thunderstorms developing to the northwest, west and east of Atanic Creek and to the northwest of Alice Springs at the moment. What are some of the best rainfall figures in the last 24 hours or so? In the last 24 hours or so, we've seen quite some decent totals. 68 at Bachelor and the top end, Rabbit Flat 55 mils on Sunday. Uh, this is quite decent. Um, and then further south, Yulara had 17 mils. And um, heading into since today, we've seen 30 mils at Upper Wickham River. And is there more to come this week? Yes, particularly in the southwest of the NT, looks like the chances of showers and thunderstorms will remain um, highest over that part of the territory over the coming week, and a slight chance over western parts of the NT. The eastern parts of the NT are less likely to see showers and thunderstorms from today with some dry air coming in. And um, the western side looks a bit slow to start off this afternoon with all the activity that it had yesterday, but it should come back later this afternoon, like likely with some showers and thunderstorms again today. Just looking at the NAFI website this afternoon, so this is the North Australian Fire Information website, I can see that there still are a few cattle stations fighting fires this afternoon. We wish them all the best. But uh, I would say that the NAFI website hasn't looked this good in a while. Um, Clearly the rain has put out a lot of fire in the Northern Territory in the last uh, few days. I don't know if you've checked it out this morning. Yes, uh, I It's noticeable. All of a sudden the amount of red dots and purple dots has diminished and it's wonderful. Yes, it's good. A lot of areas have burnt out too and hopefully this rain is helping and uh, there is a risk of um, dry lightning though. So hopefully, fingers crossed, we're heading heading towards the end of this fire season. Mm. Um, what about the week ahead for fishers? What can you tell them? Uh, for fishers, the waters are, are going to be quite um, calm with fairly light winds of 10 to 15 knots, generally northwest to northeast winds persisting over coastal waters. Okay, anything else we need to be aware of this afternoon? Uh, Just keep an eye out if any severe thunderstorm warnings that might be issued, uh, particularly in the northwest where there is the chance that there could be some some wind or some rain associated with those thunderstorms. Yeah, okay, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Have a great one. That is Juliet Barsden there at the Weather Bureau. Is it raining at your place this afternoon? If it is, let us know. 0487991057. Just looking at that radar. Hooli. Yeah, there's some good rain. Sort of if you were driving between Timber Creek and Kananara this afternoon, there's a fair chance you'll have to put the windscreen wipers on. There's some good storms out in that VRD country. And again, I look at places like a Vern Station that had been battling fires, from what I can tell. No red dots this afternoon which is just wonderful now i just asked the weather bureau what the week ahead would be like for fish shows if uh, you are a keen angler then no doubt you heard the big news on friday regarding this show 
Tales from the Tinny. That reel was nearly smoking, that first initial run, and it was a massive wahoo. Mine's a German lyric called the Stickenbuschack. <laughs> My daughter's crocheted me a little, uh, what I call the sack, and inside the sack are a couple of big ball sinkers, and that sort of hangs either side of that longer bit. Subscribe to the podcast. Disgusting amount of fishing-related irreverence. Fishing line, hooks, sinkers and lures. What was it called again? Uh, Stick and Bushack. Or reel it in any time you like on the ABC Listen app. Yeah, did you catch the tinny on Friday? Massive, massive news. The boys from Tales from the Tinny are calling it a day. I'll share this message that was posted on their Facebook page late on Friday. It says, some sad news for shows. 2023 will be the last for Tales from the Tinny. We'll be wrapping up at the end of the year, basically because it's time. We've had an incredible run, some 17 years, not thanks to us, but entirely to you. To all of you who have graced the halls of Tinny over the years, since two over-enthusiastic and totally naive Naive Fisherholic stepped onto the mic in 2006, essentially with one goal to share a frothy and a waffle with like-minded Territorians. So we're choosing to kill this thing humanely rather than let it flap about unceremoniously on the deck, dying a slow, long death. Just shy of 800 episodes, Tales from the Tinny. And their last episode will be on December 15. Hashtag get a mullet up ya. That's big news. The amount of people who stopped me on the weekend to ask more about that, because that is just huge in the fishing community, in the territory at large. It's Let's face it, it's the best show in, in the country hour, in my books. And um, the people who put it together are absolute legends. And that is sad news. December 15, put it in your diary. The last ever Tales from the Tinny. I'm Jack O'Neill Valentine. I'm ringing at Arkada Station. And I'm originally from Kalibi in Queensland. And I listen to the country air. Now, if you go to the supermarket this afternoon, you'll see plenty of blueberries for sale. There's lots of them at the moment, and they're pretty cheap. But I wonder if you've seen a certain type of blueberry that's bigger. Jumbo blueberries. Have you seen them? They come from Western Australia's biggest blueberry producer, the Fisher family, who have got plans to quadruple the size of their operation over the next few years. Their business is getting bigger, and so are their blueberries, as Richard Hudson reports. What do you reckon? <laughs> We've probably had to prune it up. If you've bought blueberries recently, you'll have noticed they're selling for between, say, 2 and $3 a punnet, which is relatively cheap. And some farmers are saying at that price they just can't make any money. But Marek Fisher doesn't really care about the current prices. The reason why I have such confidence in growing these varieties in Australia and expanding our farms to the, to the proportion that we're, we're talking is because the size, the quality, the taste, the bloom, especially the size, allows us to provide the Australian consumer with a brand new product of which they already know it's a blueberry and we can put these berries into the market and overshadow existing producers producing one or two gram berries whereas these berries are five, seven, eight, up to 10, 15 grams. The breeder that we have 
aligned with has the current world record for the largest blueberry. In the Guinness World Record, it's currently at 18.6 grams, I believe, and it's from a breeder in, in WA, and at 18.6 grams, one 125-gram punnet would end up with seven berries in it. <laughs> That's the sort of difference in products that we can start looking at doing. And if we could provide that to the whole country, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you plant this many berries? Earlier this year, the fishers started exporting small quantities of their biggest blueberries to Southeast Asia. And Marek sees a lot of potential in export markets. That's why they're constantly planting different varieties of blueberries that mature at different times of the year. It's the big ones, though, that fetch the good prices overseas. Hong Kong and the Singapore markets, they love their jumbo fruit. And their jumbo specification is, is 18 millimetres plus. We're providing fruit at 25 millimetres plus in a super jumbo package, which is unseen of, unheard of, for, to be quite frank, unheard of returns. So it does cost us a lot of money to get it there. We're, eight, we're air freighting out of Perth Airport about uh, 20 pallets a week at the moment. But even with the returns that we're getting, we're quite happy to continue doing that. How do berries, blueberries, hold up longer term, though? Sending them by air would be relatively expensive. Have you looked into sending them by sea? Yeah, we have. Our joint venture partners are a South African company that... Uh, they sea freight blueberries from the Cape and Johannesburg 50 days by boat into Europe. And generally it's, it's packed, but also unpacked, and they go to pack houses in Europe. But you know, when you can sea freight something for 55 days, that is a huge bonus for us. Singapore is five days by boat, which would probably be a, be a 10 day from farm to customer once you add in customs and, and trucking down and, and all of that. So if we can, if they can do 55 days, we could do 10, 20 days to most of the major ports in Asia. This blueberry farm was established in 2012 by Marek's dad, Derek, who used to be a geologist. It sounds like Derek's still not afraid to try new things. And that's why they've just bought a mechanical harvester. And this one here is the first one being used on blueberries in WA. Um, it's an oxbow harvester from built in Washington State in northwest US. We're on a learning curve, but so far it's working very well. And we better keep walking, otherwise it's going to harvest us. It's going to run us over. <laughs> <laughs> they call it a straddle harvester. It's like a grape harvester. The ripe fruit falls falls off the plants onto what are fish plates and then they drop down on the conveyors which take it to the back and it goes into trays. So this machine arrived in March, it's only been working for the last couple of months. It takes about five people to drive and work alongside it, but each machine can replace lots and lots of hand pickers. The cost of harvesting is probably 10% if not less compared to hand harvesting fruit. So um, we, at this point in time, it's costing us about 50 cents a kilo, and these are on young plants. We believe that'll probably halve again, you know, 50 cents at the moment versus an average of about $6 a kilo by hand harvesting. Wow. So you're looking at expanding. Does that mean you're looking at getting more harvesters? Absolutely. We've only got one at the moment, and after this season, we will be ordering one or two more. We've got eight new varieties of blueberries here. Most of them have been bred for machine harvesting. 
But Derek's son, Marek, plans to mechanise more than just harvesting. Part of his expansion plan is to reduce costs on just about every job on the farm. Whether it's pruning, weed maintenance, spraying, maintenance of the, of the structures, you know, there was a lot of planning in initially that went into, into what we're doing and a lot of foresight has gone into how we built this particular bird net that we're in at the moment. Bird net number one, we made some mistakes. We put plants in the ground, which we won't do again. We put shorter rows, you know, so when you, when you go towards a mechanical, I guess, mentality, you can't just go off existing projects and, and think that you can just change everything immediately you know we we've made our mistakes we've been in blueberries now for 12 13 years and we didn't wake up yesterday and go let's do machine harvest on on all of our existing farms we won't be able to fit out these machines into the seven and a half hectares of plastic tunnels that we have because they just don't fit there's no machines available we have designed this bird net structure that we're in at the moment so eventually we can GPS all the lines, all of the weed maintenance will be done by autonomous vehicles, all of the, the spraying will eventually be done by autonomous vehicles. And the idea of that is you're going to need a lot less workers, I'd imagine. Massively a lot less workers. <laughs> That's Derek Fisher and his son, Marek, who are running this blueberry company in WA. By 2028, they hope to have about 250 hectares of blueberries. You can see these jumbo blueberries and the mechanical harvester on our website this afternoon if you search for ABC Rural. It's 19 past one and you are tuned into the Country Hour. If you missed the start of the program, we were talking about the water allocation plan for the Georgina and Wiso basins in the Northern Territory. The plan is now out. The government has made its decision and estimates that 210,000 megalitres a year can be sustainably taken from that region. 210,000 megalitres. How are you feeling about that? On the text this afternoon, 0487 1057 Al in Humpty Doo says, Matt, I've been farming in the Northern Territory for 40 years. I'm sick to death of the non-stop whinging from people who know absolutely nothing about food and fibre production. He says, look at both sides of the highway. Nothing is growing except trees. No way is anyone going to try and clear them. I'll be dead, says Al, before the Environment Centre ever actually stops whinging. We have so much water, but the island of Darwin prefers to water bitumen and wash yellow recycling bins, reckons Al on 0487 1057. Up next on the program, we'll be speaking to the Environment Centre MT. It's Aussie Music Month on the ABC. A bit of Sarah Stora there for you on a Monday lunchtime. At the top of today's program, we were talking about water. The Northern Territory Government has released the water allocation plan for the Georgina and Wiso Basin. So this is a huge area of the Northern Territory, right? Something like 15 million hectares. It goes from just north of Daly Waters to south of Tennant Creek, stretches out into the Barclay. It covers the Beedaloo Basin and the government estimates that 210,000 megalitres of water can be sustainably extracted every single year. It's a lot of water, 210,000 megalitres. Uh, we're joined now by Kirsty Howie from the Environment Centre NT. What do you think of this plan, Kirsty? Oh, look, Matt, um, we're pretty worried about this particular water allocation. As you said, it's a lot of water. Uh, we've never seen a water allocation plan allocate this much water before in the Northern Territory. 
and there was a fairly strong response when it was put out for public consultation at the end of last year and you might recall a number of uh, water academics and community members uh, came out criticising it and that was largely because of the connection of this aquifer. It's really important for a range of industries as well as of course for the environment and it's connected up to uh, those beautiful springs at Mataranka, Bitter Springs, and also the Roper River, as well as the Flora River, which discharges into the Daly. Mm. And I guess there is a difference between the draft plan and what has now been unveiled. In the draft, the government was going to allocate 262,000 megalitres a year. That's been reduced to 210,000 megalitres. Not enough in your books? That's right. There's been, there has been a reduction. Uh, the basis for that hasn't been made completely clear in the documentation, but it's still a lot of water. And I think what you have to look at here, and I did listen to the Executive Director of Water Resources interview earlier on your program, is we need to make sure that we're not taking out more water than is actually being replenished into the system. And therein lies the problem because the government says that the recharge rate is three times what they're allocating each year. Mm. But that's uh, related to modelling based on a very, very significant rainfall event associated with Cyclone Tracy back in 1974 and then averaging out over 50 years um, what that what that is from, from that particular big event. And, and we say that's pretty skewed. If you look at the median recharge, it's more like 0.5 gigalitres per year. So we think uh, that what the science shows is that we'll be taking out more water from this aquifer that is going to be recharged and it's a very episodically rarely recharging aquifer, that particular part of it. And that could spell significant risk um, for everything that relies on that water. In your view, what is a sustainable amount that could be extracted from these basins every year for industry? Well, I mean, I think that there's certainly scope for uh, a reasonable amount of extraction from this particular aquifer. Um, I think it's not really clear what this water will be used for. There's 10 gigalitres allocated for fracking, 10 gigalitres allocated for the mining industry, and a really significant amount, um, something like... I've, I've got it here for you. Yep, 159,000 <laughs> megalitres yeah. for yeah. ag, aquaculture, industry, mining, yeah. etc. Yep. That's right. So, you know, that's a significant amount of water. Let's let's find out what that water is supposed to be used for. Um, but I think that what you need to have here, because it's never had extraction at this, this level, is you start with a much smaller estimated sustainable yield. And I think that was what we were so shocked by last year. We assumed that that water allocation plan would have a much lower rate of extraction to start with um, than, you know, the, the huge amount that's been allocated. So very, you know, it's very important to see that we, we do have a sustainable level of extraction and support industries that want to be established. However, um, we think this is, is really overshooting it by some, some distance. A text from Val this afternoon says, better to utilise a renewable resource and stay away from the northern rivers, says Val. Is, uh, I guess, that a point? Um, this part of the Territory could be a more sustainable source? Uh, look, I think that really uh, sort of you need to look at the aquifer to really understand 
um, where this water is going to eventually. And it is, as has been revealed in numerous scientific studies, it's a huge aquifer, um, but it does connect up to these Northern Rivers systems, and in particular the Roper system and also the Daly system. It discharges into the, the Flora Springs there. So taking water out here and a huge amount of water does definitely, eventually, and it might take a long time. Yeah, and, and on a long time, is it right it can take millions of years? Look, I think I would dispute that. That's certainly a statement that's been made. But mm. I, what I was quite surprised by uh, when all of these studies started to come out about this particular aquifer as part of the baseline studies for uh, following the fracking inquiry is that some of that water actually does move very quickly indeed. So um, I would suggest that millions of years is a stretch. It could be a couple of generations, it could be more, and that's what we really need to critique with this modelling. Um, you know, when will these impacts be felt? How also does this level of extraction uh, impact? There will be other water allocation plans in this area. Mataranka Tindall is close to being due out very that soon. Will also yeah. Mm. yeah. And it's the same water resource, it's a connected water resource. So we need to be looking at this whole system holistically. Thanks for your time this afternoon. No worries. Thank you so much. That is Kirsty Howie from the Environment Centre NT. I uh, got a text from Russell who's tuning in this afternoon from northern New South Wales who says, are these jumbo blueberries genetically modified or are they naturally occurring? Uh, Russell, I'm not aware of them being GM blueberries. Actually, I, I reckon they're not GM blueberries, but a lot of select breeding has gone into that project. Um, read more about it, Russell, up on that ABC Rural website. We've got to go because it's 1.30. I hope you've enjoyed the program. Keep it rural.